0: Today, I want to talk about what it means to make a sacrifice because we eagerly sacrifice for that which we love. When you love something deeply, it doesn't even feel painful to sacrifice for that. You know, several years ago, about three years ago, I was invited to, um, actually, my wife and I were invited to babysit our kids, our grandkids that live in Tennessee for five days. Our, our daughter and son-in-law were going away on a vacation, and they'd covered the child care for most of the two weeks that they were gone, but said, the last five days, we need some help. Could you guys help out? And my wife had a, had a commitment already in line, and so I said, okay, I'll do that. And people thought I was crazy. Uh, here, I'm going to spend five days with these three elementary-age kids, two boys and a girl. They're all very hyper, and, and I was glad to do that. So I went back there, and we had an incredible time. Uh, obviously, the kids tried to push grandpa uh, to do things that mom and dad don't normally let them do. I didn't know that. And so we, we record pictures and videos. When I showed mom and dad the videos of what we did, they said, oh, my goodness, you let him do that. You let him do this. I said, yeah, that's what grandpas do. So I had a great time. And I would do it again. Because one thing I've discovered being a grandparent is I will do, I will do anything for my grandkids. I will give time. I'll give time. I'll give money. I'll give my focus. I'll turn off the game if it's if I need to. I I I would literally I would lay my life down for my little grandson or any of my other grandkids. And and it would be an honor to do that. Because when you love something so much, it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. It feels like a gift. I want to give this gift to them, and I just want to ask you, do you love something so much in your life that you would say, it's that thing that I give for, it's those people that I give for, without question, without hesitation, and I wonder if on that list is Jesus. Do you love Jesus so much that you say, Jesus, I would do anything for you. I would give anything for you. I would lay down my life for you, because I love you that much. There was a woman in the Bible who loved Jesus that much. We're going to read about her today. And if you have a, a Bible, you can follow along. And you can follow along in your notes as well there to, to jot in some things that you'll learn along the way. It's actually found in three of the Gospels. And I'm going to read two of the accounts because the biblical writers sometimes write from a different angle. They, they write with a different goal in mind. And it seems like Mark and John, two of, uh, or actually John's a disciple, Mark's a, a distant disciple, actually a relative of Peter. They write with a perspective that's unique. And so Mark tells the story this way. It's found in Mark chapter 14. While he, speaking of Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus said, what this woman has done is so significant that when people go all around the world and preach the gospel... They're going to go back and remind people of this story of a woman who loved Jesus so much, she did this incredible thing for him. He tied it with the preaching of the gospel, and we have it recorded for the ages in three of the four gospels. A man named Albert Pine said, what we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others in the world remains and is immortal. And her story remains and continues to have an impact even today in 2018. Who he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. By the way, I wonder, why would, if this guy is a thief, why is Jesus putting him in charge of the money? You know, I think it's this. Because sometimes Jesus wants to expose your real heart. So I'm going to put you in a position of power. I'm going to put you, put you in a position where it'll really reveal the darkness of your heart. And that's what happened to Judas. Jesus knew who he was, but he wanted to make it very clear to everyone else who Judas was. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep, for, keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. He wasn't telling her to keep the perfume. What he was telling her is, let her keep this moment. Let her keep this memory of what she has just done for me. What was, what was motivating her generosity? What was motivating the sacrifice? I think there's an X factor involved here. Now, what is an X factor? It's not a TV show. It was way before the TV show came. There was a, a term called the X factor. The X factor is that one element, that one ingredient that, that puts something over the top, that, that makes it special and unique. It's the, it's the one thing that you don't find uh, randomly, It's very rare and special. It's the X factor. And in this story, I actually find three X factors. The first one is extravagance. Extravagance. Mary's gift was very extravagant. She's in a place where this meal is given in honor of Jesus. And in biblical times, just as in, the, in many places in the Middle East today, they lay down on pillows for meals. They didn't sit at tables like, like we do. They actually laid down, reclined, and then the food is put on a table that was very low to the ground. And so Mary walks in, Jesus is there, Lazarus is there, others have gathered there, and she walks in and she takes this bottle of perfume, an alabaster jar. Now, this isn't alabaster, but it is the color. What's in here is the color of nard. Nard is a perfume that was found, it's taken from a root of a plant that grows up in the Himalayan mountains. Very rare, very expensive. And so she had a whole alabaster jar of this and she breaks it open and she begins to pour it. One one says on Jesus' head, the other says on Jesus' feet. And as she does that, she moves down to his feet and she undoes her hair so that it hangs out and she begins to wash and dry his feet. And people that are watching are very uncomfortable for a number of reasons. One is the servant of the house is the one that's supposed to be washed in feet, not the guests. But what's more offensive is the fact that only prostitutes let their hair down. Mary's very undignified in what she does, but she is so humble in what she does for Jesus. And the disciples scold her, like, what are you doing, woman? And they're actually angry, they're indignant with her. And the reason they're indignant is because, they said, this is very valuable. Why are you wasting it? See the the ointment in her jar was pure nard. Some you go like what in the world is nard? It's a it's an aromatic scent that was used primarily for burials. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And I, I wondered what the quality of that was because it says pure nard. Like do people buy pure pure f- per- perfume? And I looked online to find what's the difference between perfume and cologne. I mean I don't wear perfume, I wear cologne. Well, really, the difference is the percentage of the ointment. So I didn't realize this, but perfume is typically about 20% of the ointment. It's the highest concentration, 20%. Toilet water, which I would never put on my body anywhere, just the sound of it sounds gross. Eau de toilette, that is 9%. And you know what cologne is? 1% to 3%. Very little. In fact, you could take a jar of 100% nard, dilute it, and you get 100 bottles that size at 1%. But it's pure. So you can just, just tell, this stuff smells strong. And you ever, you ever smell perfume and go, oh, that's kind of strong? Or cologne? Yeah, this room is filled because she's dealing with pure nard. And Judas says, you could have sold that. It was worth, it was worth 300 denarii. A denarii was the typical uh, day's wage. 300 days of wages is like 10 months of work. So so I just learned the other day from Mayor Southers, the average job in Colorado Springs now is over $70,000 a year. So if you go 10 months of that, that's roughly $60,000. She has a bottle of perfume worth $60,000. And she's broken the top off of it, and she's just pouring it on Jesus. She has no intent to to dab it on him a little bit. That would have been sweet to do, right? She's pouring it. And then she's pouring it all over his feet and people are going, what are you doing? What are you doing? That is so valuable. But she wants to bless Jesus. She wants to love on Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys, hold it. See, some of us think very logically when it comes to sacrifice. What's appropriate? What's the right thing to do? This is what we're going to do. We've got it all figured out. This is what we can afford. This is what we're going to do. But there are other people who says, I I don't, I'm not thinking logically. I'm thinking through my heart. And this is what I desire to do. See, what Mary did was illogical. It didn't make sense. Sometimes sacrifices seem senseless to some folks, but they're beautiful to Jesus. Beautiful to Jesus. And see, Jesus says, you always have the opportunity to be charitable to the poor. You have that every single day. Go ahead and do that. You have the opportunity. But right now, she's worshiping me. And right now, that's a beautiful thing. And some of us need to recognize the fact that we don't always have to be practical. And sometimes in the midst of worship, what we do doesn't seem very practical. For David, when the ark is brought into Jerusalem to dance in his his undergarments with all his might, however that looks, people said, oh, my goodness, that's undignified. He's over the top with that. But it was beautiful to the Lord. When the leper was healed, 10 of them were healed, but one of them came back to Jesus, the Bible says that that man came back shouting praises to Jesus. And there were probably people on the street that said, sir, keep it down, keep it down. He goes, I will not keep it down. Look what he's done for me, my fingers, my toes. I mean, I can't keep quiet. Sometimes when you love Jesus so much, you do something that other people go, that is over the top. That is a little bit much for me. Now I'm just telling you, I am... Admittedly, more like a disciple than I am Mary. And I think oftentimes through the through the lens of what makes sense, what's appropriate. And I think sometimes that restricts the ability to love Jesus from the heart. Because sometimes when you love him that much, you just do things because it's the it's the thing to do. It's it's what I want to do right now. I'm gonna break that bottle open, I'm gonna pour it all on Jesus, and I don't care if there's not a drop left for my burial. And that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. This week, my wife and I experienced a beautiful thing like that. A couple came to visit our church recently. And they live in another town, so they weren't here. But they said, we, we loved hearing about what God has done in the church. We love hearing about what God is leading the elders and the staff to do. And we want to be part of your immeasurable impact. I said, really? That's That's touching. You don't even go to this church and you want to be part of it. And he says, we want, to, we want to make a commitment. I said, Okay. So they pulled out a checkbook and they wrote a check. It was for $10,000. And both, both Julie and I, we are crying because we said, You guys don't even go to this church. I said, You're crazy. That's what I wanted to say. You're crazy. <laughs> this is over the top. Why would you do this? But I didn't ask that either because I knew why they were doing it. You could see in their eyes they love Jesus so much. They want to be part of what God's doing here. And I don't know their financial situation, but I was blown away because I thought there's going to be very few people in our own church that will do that. This is, a, this is an incredible sacrifice. But it goes back because they have a great love for their master, And extravagance is the only response that was appropriate. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. It goes on. The next X factor is their experience. See, here's what I love about John's story. John goes through all the names of the characters. He says, they're they're meeting at the house of Simon the leper. By the way, it's probably Simon the former leper because if Simon was a leper, they wouldn't be in his house. People didn't go to the homes of lepers. Lepers weren't weren't allowed to mingle among the citizens. They were outcasts. But this man... Obviously had been healed of leprosy, and the guest of honor in his house is none other than Jesus, the healer. But someone else is sitting there that John notes. Lazarus. Lazarus is in the room. Now John 12 is very, very significant, because do you know what John 12 follows? You might want to write this down. John 12 immediately follows John 11. Look in your Bible, it's there. It's right after John 11. But what's in John 11 is what's so amazing. In John 11, Mary and her sister Martha send word to Jesus that the brother Lazarus is deathly ill, and would he come and heal him? And Jesus takes his time. He doesn't come for four days. And by that time, Lazarus has long been dead. He's been wrapped up like a mummy and put in a cave. He's been buried. Jesus shows up, and the sisters are just baffled. Jesus, you said you loved us. Why would you allow this to happen? And Jesus said, Mary, in other words, let me explain. I'm going to do something even greater than you can imagine. Yes, I heal the sick, but I do something even better than that. I raise the dead because I am the resurrection and the life. And he looked over that cave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And this body comes walking out of the grave with all the strips of cloth wrapped around him. And so when they're in this room... Mary looks there and she's looking around and she goes, Just a few days ago, my brother was dead in a tomb and he's sitting right here in this room. I'm a witness of his miracle. How do I tell him thanks? See, here's what a sacrifice does a sacrifice is a way of expressing our gratitude for what God has already done. She's trying to thank Jesus. How do I say thanks for what he's done? Well, I've got this valuable possession. It's the best thing I have. It's the most valuable thing I have. I'll offer that to Jesus. See, when you, when you experience a miracle, when you personally experience one or witness one of those around you, you step back and go, isn't Jesus amazing? I want to I serve him. I want to live for him. And I look back at my life from the time I was 16 till today and what God has done, the mercy he's given me, the grace he's given me, the favor he's given me, how God has provided at times when we were in need miraculously, how God has worked within our own family, how God has provided an incredible uh, spouse for our um, daughter, and, and an incredible spouse for our son, and they believe in God and they love the Lord. We've got five amazing grandkids, and I have a beautiful wife who loves the Lord and loves me, and all these blessings that God has poured out. I didn't deserve any of them. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I will be is because of Jesus. And so... How, how can I not, after all I've experienced, say, God, I, I don't know what I, would, what I can give you. Mary broke open a, a bottle of perfume and poured it out. And, then, and what did you do for me? You had your body broken and blood poured out so that I could be forgiven and be part of your family. What, what can I do? What can I give to say thank you for all you've done for me? It's the experience that, that motivates us to give generously sacrificially, eagerly to that which he loves. And yet there's another X factor in the story, and I think maybe the best one of all, it's expectation. Expectation. See this perfume that's in the bottle, this pure nard, well, it, it smells, it's not the kind of thing a woman would put on, on a date, because this was a perfume used to anoint someone who had died. It had an earthy smell. I, I read online, it's kind of like valerian root. Um, but it was put on the body because in those days, they didn't, didn't have preservation techniques that we have today. So they would pack bodies with spices. Remember that? When Jesus died, they packed his body with like 100 pounds of spices? That's a lot of spice. Um, and then they would use ointments like nard, So that as the body decayed, instead of smelling the decay of the body, they would smell this aroma. And see, what what Mary was doing was actually, she had this this bottle that likely was being saved for her own burial. And the reason it was broken tells me that it was the kind of thing that you didn't open and use a little bit and close it back up, but when you wanted to use it, you broke it and you poured it out. And she said, "I, I don't need it for my burial but I want Jesus to be prepared for his. And Jesus acknowledged that in both of those stories. He said, what she's done is beautiful because she's anointing me for my burial. She knows what's coming. She knows that I'm going to die, but she knows something else. Remember the story of Lazarus? What did she learn then? Not even death is gonna hold him because he is the resurrection and the life. And she knew what was coming ahead, and so her sacrifice looked forward with expectancy. See, a sacrifice anticipates what God is going to do, what God will do. Think of the farmer. The farmer has a bunch of seed, and he can either, either he can take the seed and go, you know what? We're getting hungry. We should eat it. Or we're going to sacrifice it and plant it. Now, I never, I never find farmers weeping over the planting season because they know There's a harvest to come. If we plant this seed now, six months down the road or whatever, we're going to get a harvest from what we've planted. And people who make sacrifices know that in reality what they're doing is planting, planting seeds that God will use for kingdom harvest down the road. It may be seeds planted in the lives of ministry of our our children, of our teenagers, of our adults that we may not see in the months to come. It may, be, it may be years. It might even be generations down the road. I think those families that gathered in 1956 in a house would be amazed to walk around this church today and say, look what God has done from the seeds we planted in 1956. It's amazing what God will do when we sacrifice for his kingdom. In Luke chapter nine, verse 24, Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We can hold on to our life, we can hold on to our time, and we can hold on to our dreams, we can hold on to our possessions. We can say, those are all mine, because that's all I have. Or we can say, you know what? God, it all came from you, I'm releasing it all back to you. Because I know, I know there's a better life that's coming. And I know that you will take these sacrifices now, and bless. I've seen it in the past. I've seen you do it. And I'm confident you're going to do it again because you promise in Scripture to do immeasurably beyond all we ask or imagine. You tell us that you will do greater things than these as we step forward in faith. And so we do that. We look forward to what God will do. And see, Mary was not commanded to give this sacrifice, Jesus never even requested it. Obviously, the disciples didn't hear that if, she, if, if it was offered to all. Mary just said, here's what I want to do. This is not an obligation. It's a privilege. Remember what I said at the beginning? When you love something or someone so much, it doesn't feel anymore like a sacrifice because you eagerly, willingly give to that. I don't think Mary would say this was a sacrifice at all. I mean, after what Jesus had done for her, she said, this was my opportunity to say I love you, to say thank you. To say, I believe in what you're doing on this earth. And I want to see even more.